Welcome in to the DNVR Broncos postgame show presented by Breckenridge Brewery. Big shout out to Breckenridge Brewery for bringing this to us. And of course, for producing damn good beers all the time. And Mace, I think there was a part of everyone that knew this was a possibility today. Uh, and the Broncos just didn't have it. Didn't have it on offense. They did have it on defense, which we'll talk about here in a second. They certainly didn't have it on special teams. And in the end, you got to have it in all three phases if you're going to beat this Kansas City Chiefs football team. And what happens is the Broncos get blown out. Well, they did have it mostly on defense. But that being said, I don't think the defense escapes without uh, some shame in this. Too many missed tackles. You take a look at that first touchdown run by Clyde Edwards-Alaire back in the first quarter, and you've got missed tackles left and right. Honestly, nobody coaches, players, except the occasional guy like Bradley Chubb. Okay, so maybe not nobody, but very few players or coaches come off looking good out of this disaster. This was farcical at times. Yeah, you know what? Like, I, I'm i really proud of the defense. Uh, I thought they did enough today to keep the Denver Broncos in this football game. Um, unfortunately, like I said, you know, I said it on Twitter. I just said it now. You, you got to be good to great in all three phases if you're going to beat this team. In the end, it looks so ugly, uh, mostly because of a pick six from Drew Locke, which is a terrible throw, and a kick return touchdown. You take those away, and going into the fourth quarter, this is a one-score game. So, yes, you can't take those away. That's not what I'm saying here. What I'm saying is the defense, I felt like, held their own in a way that they can be proud of this performance and in a way that I feel good about them moving forward against other football teams. Yeah, but uh, again, uh, again, it wasn't perfect. I think if you're encouraged, you're encouraged by Bradley Chubb getting another sack. You're encouraged uh, by the fact that they kept the Chiefs in front of them. So you can kind of start getting into that rush and cover equation. But if you're going to have if you're going to have these meltdowns in other phases of the game, I mean, what's you know, what's the point? I mean, you know, it's yeah, if. If you don't have the return scores, oh, it's a one-score game. You've also got the offense doing dumbass things like trying a, a flea flicker when uh, you're actually having some success, momentum running the ball. You're getting to midfield, and then just an ill-advised call and in a very poor and very poor execution of said call by Melvin Gordon. I think, and you know, it's it's actually interesting to think about uh, who Broncos country is angriest at right now. Is it Melvin Gordon or is it somebody else? Well. Based on my mentions, it's Drew Locke, and yeah. I think we need to talk about Drew Locke first and foremost here because this is uh, this is the main topic in Broncos country right now. Um, this is Drew's eighth full game. The Broncos are five and three in those games, and uh, the last two now Drew's game Drew's stats have looked really poor. Um, they won last week. They obviously get crushed this week. Drew didn't do enough. 
Uh, Maze, I'll start with you. Just your evaluation of Drew Locke today. Uh, it's uh, starting to, to look like Mizzou for me as I watch him. And what I mean by that is I'm seeing the mistakes that caused him to be a second round pick at Mizzou coming out of Mizzou. You're seeing some of the back foot throws that are leading to accuracy issues. You're seeing some stare downs of, of receivers. You're see, you're seeing uh, more so last week on that second interception, but a little bit of trying to play hero ball at times. And it's kind of the big picture that I have a concern because since I've seen all these miscues before, I don't know that he's getting any better. And you start wondering, is this just who he is? And yeah, that's, that's the fear I have. For me, I continue to see signs from him. Today was just today's a bad game. Straight up bad game from Drew Locke. Um, the pick six was a really bad throw off his back foot, which was a consistent issue throughout this football game. I thought he was pressing knowing what they were up against from an offensive side of, from an offensive standpoint. Um, I thought that he his ball placement was off throughout the game. I think that if anything I learned, if there's anything we learned for sure today, it's that Drew Locke's certainly not comfortable in snow and cold temperatures, mm-hmm. uh, which is something that could rear its ugly head, you know, over time in Denver. Yeah. Um, the, Tex- the Texas kid looks like he's been in it his entire life, referring yeah. to Patrick Mahomes, of he's course. He's a freak. I mean, he's a yeah. freak of nature. Like, but, you know, you can't compare to him. Yeah, because I'm, I'm thinking, who are the other guys from climates like that who have looked pretty good? Brett Favre coming from out of Kill, Mississippi, uh, down near the Gulf comes to mind. A- to another Packer quarterback, and Zach's not here, so I can say this. Aaron Rodgers comes from San Diego. Never affected it. Never affected him. So it's it's curious that this is two games that uh, Drew Locke has played in the snow, and they've both uh, been off. But I also. I'm also not putting too much on the conditions here. I mean, you had some wind, it was cold, but that's not the, those aren't the reasons why Drew Locke struggled today. What, what in your opinion is the reason Drew Locke struggled today? I think the, well, there's not one reason there's, there's several reasons. I think to kind of go back to, to put to, to an earlier point, the fact that he's reverting to some bad habits, the fact that you're seeing those back foot throws, uh, he's not stepping into his throws the way that you want. It's a concern I have because you can, you can do everything on the practice field right to kind of correct those things, to, to turn a flaw into a strength. But if you revert to the old habits at game time, uh, what good is it going to do? It, it, and I, I don't want to give Broncos fans the shakes here on this, but it reminds me a little Brock Osweiler. Remember the work that they put in to try to make sure he was delivering more over the top rather than that little sidearm? thing that he had going on coming out of ASU and you know in practice he'd do fine but you got to the game you got to full speed got to where you're working under duress and it's just kind of human nature we all sort of when we're under duress we revert to some things that are ingrained and so it's fair to it's it's fair to, to wonder is you know is this just something that's gonna be part and parcel of who he is and how do you work around it if that's the case I think you're right on a lot of accounts I think footwork to me was the biggest issue today uh and I think there's a bunch of reasons why that happened. He was under duress for sure. I think he, I, like I said earlier, I think he's just uncomfortable in these conditions. And I think that forces him to kind of fall back on some bad habits. Um, That's but, a problem when you play in Denver, Colorado, the uh, St. Tampa. Absolutely. And, but again, that, you know, you, you lead me in exactly to, to my biggest point here. Mace, this is his eighth full game in the NFL. 
it's not like it's been two full seasons of this kid starting. It hasn't even been half of one season yet. And people are ready to write the entire book on Drew Locke. They want to see him beat the Chiefs. He didn't beat the Chiefs. They weren't even close. And because of that, they're ready to write the book on him. And I just don't get it. Like, around the league, it's a accepted notion that young quarterbacks have to have time to develop. They either have to have time to sit behind a better quarterback and learn, or they have to have time to get into the football game and figure it out from there. And Drew Locke is in that process right now. So what – I just – I don't – I think the Justin Herbert thing is really screwing up everyone's perspective of this because Justin Herbert walks in and he's been awesome. One after another. Awesome. 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 Today, they're finally going to get their first win with him. Um, so he has that monkey off his back. And I just think people are looking at that and, and it's, and it's making them rush to judgment on drew lock. I'm not ready to judge drew lock until he has that, you know, in terms of, I shouldn't say I'm not ready to judge him because I actually am ready to judge him. I think I see a lot of the things that he needs to have. Now, there's plenty of other things that he needs to improve on, but that is the point of this. That's the point of getting all these games. That's the point of a young developing offense. You you can't write a quarterback off this early in his career, especially, Mace, especially when he's 5-3 and three and his starts with two of his losses coming to the – Super Bowl champions from last season who won the Super Bowl last year. Both of those games, by the way, in the snow. And the other one coming against the Tennessee Titans, who very clearly seem to be one of the best teams in football this year. So I, ju I, I just can't believe the fact that people are ready to write the book on Drew Locke in his eighth full game as an NFL player. Yeah, and that's why I think you need to just let the season play out. How many times have we said that this year is about evaluating Drew Locke. A million. Maybe even more important than anything you accomplish as a team. That the you could go 6-10, and ten, but if Drew Locke showed that he was the guy, end of discussion. Then it was, a, it was a successful year. I think you mentioned Justin Herbert. I think that is something that is... It's un, it's not fair, but it's it's looming over him. But, sure. also, but also just in general, I mean, we've seen, you know... We've seen in the last few years quarterbacks be able to be microwaved a little bit. And, you know, for, because it's not just Justin Herbert, it's and it's seeing Patrick Mahomes. Uh, Deshaun Watson had a 101.5 rating in his first eight starts. Lamar Jackson, 99.6. And yet it's still possible that he might be Josh Allen. Yeah, Josh for sure. Allen, not good in his first nine starts. No, not at all. But what was interesting. He had a 66.1 rating, but, and you know, you know me, I'm not a, I, I'm not a QB wins guy. The bills were four and five. The bills were actually competitive with Josh Allen. And there were some, there, there were some signs and things started to come together for him after that. So is that, you know, that's the template I think you're hoping for here is that the fact that with Josh Allen, the performance didn't match up to the win loss total, which was respectable. And then eventually things normalized. You're hoping that is that you're hoping that's the case with Drew Locke. But the problem is then you start saying, okay, what is his ceiling? If he reaches his ceiling, uh, where can he go? And I think the other thing that in seeing this in people may in, in tweeting at me during the game, I've, there were a few people that noted that there's that they feel like this, their perception of Drew Locke's ceiling is dropping. And is that, and, 
And that's a concern, I think, in Broncos country, too. So I think that's the thing that has changed the least for me. Um, I still, uh, to me, Drew Locke's ceiling is very clear. He has everything you could want from a quarterback. He has it between the ears. He has it with his arm. He has athletic ability to get out of the pocket and make plays with his feet. So to me, every game, I get more confident in the ceiling. What I think is has moved, like what moves in a game like today is your belief in whether or not he's getting closer to that ceiling or if he's staying where he's been. Eventually, Drew Locke has to start moving towards the ceiling. Today, you certainly didn't see him get closer to the ceiling. You know, anyone can, anyone, everyone, and anyone can agree to that fact. Mm-hmm. He didn't get closer to his ceiling today. That's what you need to start seeing. But again, we're talking about his second, sorry, his third full start in this season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How, like, you know, in the snow against the Super Bowl champions. I'm, and- I'm not excusing the fact that he didn't get closer to the ceiling today, but it's not like just because he didn't, it's time to say, well, Looks like he's regressing. Let's see how he plays next week against the Chargers. Yeah. When he gets to go head-to-head with Justin Herbert. He's got a whole slate of games ahead of him that we have to be able to evaluate him. The season is about evaluating Drew Locke. Not this week is only about evaluating Drew Locke. You don't have to make any decisions about Drew Locke right now. And in fact, I would be shocked unless it – Every game from here on out looks like it did today, which I highly doubt that the Broncos are even ready to make a black or white decision on Drew Locke after this season. So that's all I'm trying to push back on. There's just no reason to make a determination on Drew Locke right now because you didn't see what you wanted to see today. Yeah, and you don't have to, but unfortunately, when you're in sports talk radio or podcasting, it is about snap judgments, and that's just the kind of thing that we end up have, having to do. I think it is important to say that you're not making the call today, but is he going in the right direction? At this moment, no, but there are ebbs and flows in every young, in every young player's development. That's why when I do, if I do look at the numbers, I, like to, I, wanna, I focus more on the nine start sample size rather than simply uh, what he's doing in this moment. The problem, the, the, the problem, unfortunately with that is he's start his overall production is starting to work into that territory where it is it is decidedly hit or miss as far as what direction he's going to go. Whereas based on what he did late last year, if you just went by that five game sample size, you were saying, okay, there's a decent chance that he's going to work out. Now he's really in that territory where he could, where his path could fork in either direction, boom or bust here, or something kind of middling and in between. I think one thing though, you don't have to make a decision today, obviously, but if Locke shows enough to where he does get another look for 2021, if he does well enough in the balance of the season to yield that, you, you can't do the Jeff Driscoll thing again as a backup quarterback. Your backup quarterback has to be somebody who can step in and play. And uh, and that's one thing that you, know, you kind of go back, you, looking over the course of the season, and I, I, I've thought this today, I said this to somebody kind of privately, and I'll just say it here publicly, that $8 million from Melvin Gordon could have probably been better spent on Jameis Winston. That's an interesting to come in for those games. But the point is, if Drew, if Drew Locke has ups and downs the rest of the way, your backup quarterback, yeah, it has to be somebody who could push a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you want to know the truth, though, Mace? 
is that the Broncos don't feel comfortable bringing in a person like Jameis Winston because the fan base isn't patient enough to not be booing and chanting for Jameis Winston after Drew Locke throws two incompletions in a game. Like, that's just the facts. Look at the comment section right now. I know. It's, it's unbelievable. Like, there's absolutely no patience in this town for quarterbacks. And we're, again, talking about his eighth full game in the NFL. So whether you like it or not, and I'm not talking to you, but I'm talking just in general, the Broncos can't bring in a guy like Jameis Winston or even like a Marcus Mariota because then they have their their fan base breathing down the neck of their the guy that they hope is going to be their future franchise quarterback. And the truth is that's that is not positive for his development. It's just it, not. It, it's, it, it hurts. Yeah, but at the same time, if it's if you have this and if it's something that does lead to something negative in terms of the mental makeup, then that is part of the test of a young quarterback too, whether they can handle that or not. But but the but my point is the organization doesn't even want to take that risk. And they don't that, want the they don't want it would doesn't matter if it's if it's Justin Herbert or Drew Locke or anyone else, they don't want early in a development the fan base chanting for the other guy. It's just it, it's not a good thing. And it proved to be a mistake already because you might have won that Pittsburgh game and you certainly would have been a lot more competitive against uh, against Tampa Bay as well in the way that the defense uh, did not let that game get out of hand as it progressed. Who knows how it might have been different if you'd had somebody other than Driscoll handling the balance of the snaps. I mean, it's just he, there, there are other I get where you're coming from. But that can't be a reason why you don't make sure that every position on the roster, starter or backup, is as good as it can be. I, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm just, try, I'm just yeah. trying to say, like, I know. <laughs> they, they, like, I, I don't think they want to put their quarterback in that position right. to have the fans chanting Jameis Winston's name today at the stadium. Well, when they the wouldn't Bronco- have, there wouldn't have been. There weren't enough of them. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, as we move forward, this is obviously the conversation. What, like, what? On a surface level, what do you want to see from Drew Locke as he bounces back from this next week against the Chargers and moving forward this season to make you feel more comfortable? I want to see him go through his progressions. I want to see him uh, stare down his receivers uh, less often. I want and I, I want to see him look settled. I mean, it's it's one thing to be able to throw to have that tool in your drawer with your arm talent to throw off balance when you're under duress. The problem is when you're seeing those back foot throws, when you're in the pocket there, he's got to show that what he's working on in practice is actually going to manifest itself in the game. I think that uh, that's, that's a key. That is a key thing. And, uh, I've seen you know I've seen this too many times where you try to, you try to coach something into a guy and it just doesn't, uh, it, it, it just doesn't click on the field. I've got to see some progress from drew lock that what he's learning in practice is going to manifest itself in the games. For me, I want to see, and this goes for the Broncos as a young football team as well. It's not all on Drew Locke, but I want to see them show that they can beat very good teams because so far through Drew Locke's career and through the Bron- through this Broncos season, we've seen they can't beat very good teams and they can beat not very good teams and average teams. I'm not sure where, where we put the uh, Patriots right now because I think we just need a little bit more information on them. Mm. Although the fact is today they got their tails whooped by the 49ers i think the as i said on twitter the broncos broke cam again 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 you know the the patriots look like a they actually right now they look like a bad football team 
and it was weird because they looked like a yeah. really good football team for the first three weeks of the season. Yeah, that they look they they look great in a loss to Seattle. They look really good against the Raiders, but they're 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 headed in the wrong direction right now. So it may it may be that the Bronco that the Broncos caught them at the moment when they were starting to fall apart. I mean, who knows? Maybe all the stuff with COVID and having the game moved, maybe it just knocked them off their rhythm in a way from which they're not going to be able to recover. So I've been saying for a while now, especially when the whole tank for Trevor talk started, the Broncos yeah. are going to win about 50% of their games this season with Drew Locke under center. Right now they yeah. are one and two with Drew Locke under center for the full game. Uh, I, I'm mm -hmm. not going to count that Pittsburgh game because it just, he didn't have a chance to impact that game really. Um, and so here's the way the schedule shakes out. Broncos Chargers, Broncos Falcons, Broncos Raiders, Broncos Dolphins. Those are their next four games. Mm -hmm. They should probably get over 500 with Drew Locke in those four in those uh, next four games. You have a very good chance to win each and every one of those games. That is what I expect. But then they go Saints, Chiefs, Bills. In their last five games, they play the Saints, Chiefs, and Bills. I need them to show me. I want to see Drew Locke show me. I want to see this team show me that they have the ability to beat teams like that. Because we already know that they have the ability to beat good, or sorry, should I say bad and average teams. The yeah. next part of this hump, and again, this is a young football team that is developing. This is all part of their progression. They, you know, it was going to take a miracle for them to beat the Chiefs today, or at least a, I don't, I think miracle is probably too strong a word, a 90 to 95% performance in terms of their potential. And they didn't get, they didn't even touch, they didn't, you know, they probably played 50% of their potential, maybe. Yeah. Um, so that's something that I want to see throughout the rest of the season. I think that this team has what it takes to continue to win football games. And I think Drew Locke has what it takes to continue to beat these teams. But I know that all these people in the comments who don't believe in Drew Locke right now aren't going to be able, aren't going to start to change their mind. And so you beat a team like the Saints. So you beat a team like the Chiefs, which, you know, on the road, on Sunday night football in Arrowhead is going to be extremely difficult or even the bills who you get at home, you know, that's going to start to change minds. And that those are the, win those are the games that they're going to have to win. Cause they're not going to win all of these other ones. You're going to need some swing games in there. Yeah. But the question is, are they good enough to run off a bunch of wins uh, against, uh, against lesser teams? And I would say probably teams that are, either in the Broncos class or maybe a, a step below. I mean, you're playing the Chargers and, you know, they finally figured out how to win with Justin Herbert, but the Chargers and the Broncos are probably right on the same level right now as teams. So that, that's, that, that looks like a coin flip game at this yep. point. And, and it's it, a big game for just the narrative. Right. With, with Justin Herbert being on the other side. Yeah. Atlanta, the interesting thing with Atlanta beyond that, if they don't blow this game today as they did, in typical Atlanta fashion, which is always spectacular, then we're talking about Atlanta being two and zero with Raheem Morris as head coach. Yep. And now, now we're saying, okay, it's it's a bad team, but it is fundamentally a better team, and it's playing harder right now than it did before that it that it did with Dan Quinn. So again, I'm not the Broncos should win, but it's an anything can happen kind of game. The Raiders. I think the Raiders are probably a, a few notches, a, a couple of notches better than the Broncos right now. If they go in and win that game, it would be like beating Houston last year, I think, in terms of the level of team that you're playing. And then Miami, I, I don't know. So basically, what we're, we're saying here is, I mean, they could go three and one. They could also 
go one and three in, in this. I mean, we really, you know, the, one of the things that we kind of talked about going into this game is that there's not a game that you'd put in Sharpie as a, a win for the Broncos the rest of the way, but there's probably not one except maybe Kansas City on the road that you would put Sharp, in Sharpie as an L at this point. And how many of those games are they going to win or are they just going to normalize as being a 500 type team against the Chargers, the Falcons, the Dolphins, the Raiders? I mean, if I were putting my if I were putting money on an outcome for the next four games, RK, I'd probably put it on two and two. Two and two. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's probably where the, uh, you know, if DraftKings Sportsbook was setting odds on what the most likely record is in the next four games, it would probably be a two and two. The Chargers are two and four. The Falcons are one and six. The Raiders are three and three. The Dolphins are three and three. You know, I'm yeah. sure that DraftKings would probably have it. You should beat the Chargers and the Falcons, mm-hmm. and you probably lose to the Raiders and the Dolphins. But again, you, you want to see better than that. Mm-hmm. And what I learned today, and I really believe this, is that this defense is good enough. This defense is bar none good enough to get this team wins on a week-in, week-out basis. This defense is not the one who threw a pick six, and this defense is not the one who allowed a kick-return touchdown, which I don't care what you say about what was going to happen on those possessions. That completely and utterly – both of those plays completely and utterly changed the game. And you can maybe overcome one of them when you're these Broncos against those Chiefs, but you definitely cannot overcome two of them. I think this defense – I mean, they – I don't think Patrick Mahomes converted a third down all day. I think they were 0 for 7 on third downs with Patrick Mahomes on the field, uh, which is just amazing, astounding from this defense. Uh, when Patrick Mahomes is on the field, I think they scored either 23 or 26 points as an offense. That is a position where you should be able to win that football game. That's right where we would have had him if we had the Broncos winning. We probably would have said it needed to be 31-26. So yeah. this defense against the Chargers and the Falcons and the Raiders and the Dolphins – They're going to keep you in the game. Now, as Drew goes along in his development, he needs to find a way to help make enough plays for this team to win football games like that. Yeah. Uh, In fact, uh, even including the Chad Henney time, 0 for 8. So the Chiefs had a big, fat 0 for on third downs. And scored 43 points. The Broncos held them to under 300 total yards for the game. 286. And at one point, in the middle, in the second and third quarters, there was a one, two, three. There was a four possession stretch where Kansas City got one first down and their offense accounted for three points. And that was on a short field where they advanced the ball one yard. So four possessions, three points, one first down. And the Broncos <laughs> gave up 17 in that span. Because of the t- of the two touchdowns, I mean, you the Chiefs do put that in in mind that you have to play a perfect game to beat them. But at the start, you just, I mean, you you cannot you, you cannot do what the Broncos did and ha- and have those self those self inflicted wounds. Now, three games w- against the Chiefs for Vic Fangio coaching this team against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, they've given up twenty three points to the Chiefs' offense every time. And remember that first game, of course, Matt Moore came in, but the Chiefs had a defensive touchdown, and they were doing okay, but not great moving the ball while Mahomes was out there before he got hurt. So they do what we've seen is they keep the Chiefs' targets in front of them. They do a really good job at avoiding a lot of huge 
backbreaking explosive plays 20 plus from this chief's off from this chief's offense a lot of it is is, is due to the kind of the, the zone coverage that you see uh from the broncos we've seen the pass rush uh be effective you know malik reed was effective bradley chubb Brad, bradley chubb was effective they were getting patrick mahomes off balance from time to time but if you can't get some help from the other two phases, all this is all this progress that you're making against the Chiefs' offense is going to be moot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and that's what's so frustrating about this game, from my standpoint, is like you take away those two really two massive blunders that mm-hmm. made it that that swung the scoreboard 14 points, and you just have a totally different game. I don't know if the Broncos win; they probably don't. But you don't end up coming away from this game looking at the scoreboard thinking, man, the Broncos had no chance. They're still not even anywhere near the same class as the Kansas City Chiefs, which is probably the case. But you feel a little bit better today if you go ahead and just keep this close, get a little bit of hope, keep the momentum rolling a little bit so you don't feel like, man, we just are nowhere near them. And maybe inside the locker room they feel that way. But the fan base certainly doesn't feel yeah. that way. Let me give you this stat here. I just I just synthesized this here. 286 yards allowed for the, for the Broncos today. So now, since Patrick Mahomes became the Chiefs' starting quarterback, the Chiefs have been be- held below 290 yards only three times. And the Broncos are responsible for two of those three, specifically Vic Fangio's defense responsible for two of those three. Yep, like I said, this defense is good enough. Mm-hmm. They're certainly good enough to keep this team in football games. Uh, and, and I'm not ready to jump off the you know the, the entire train when it comes to these Broncos. We said it before the game. I said it before the game. They're probably going to lose. They'll go to two and four. They have a very good chance to get themselves right back up to four and four in the next two football games. Doesn't mean they're going to do it, but it's certainly right in front of them. They have a chance to beat these football teams. They have a chance to be alive. They have a chance to have their goal of making the playoffs right in front of them two weeks from now. So it's frustrating. Uh, It's a frustrating performance. It's a frustrating scoreboard, I think, more than anything. Uh, I think the scoreboard really skews just the, you know, the entire feeling about this team because because of really two big plays. Um, Let's talk about some other players, though, Mace. Melvin Gordon, uh, you know, he's becoming – I don't, I don't know if the right word is public enemy number one, but he's certainly not endearing himself to Broncos country. No, I think he's replaced Garrett Bowles as the whipping boy of the uh, Broncos fan base here. The guy, yeah. that, the guy that is going to be booted every opportunity. Now, I mean, the funny thing is, it, if you play box score scout, you're going to look at Melvin Gordon and say, ah, four yards of carry, a touchdown, a couple of receptions. Not bad, but you watch the game, you know better. You, and it's and it's not just it's not just the the two fumbles, which now he has three fumbles, and Phil has had none in his career. It's also the fact that we, even though he can get four yards of carry, it's the offense is just so more more much more explosive and dynamic with Phil back there. Oh, clearly. And I mean. You know, get get healthy, Phil, and uh, get back as soon as you can. I mean, I, and obviously, uh, don't rush through the concussion protocol that you're going to have to go through. But you know, with with Phil, the offense and just the entire entire feel of it, it takes on a different dynamism with him out there. And again, it sort of underscores the whole thing of, you know, why did you pay eight million dollars? I mean, this with all the needs that you had on the roster, that you know, you went cheap at backup quarterback, you. you 
you could have addressed the offensive line a little bit more. You, $8 million for a running back when you had Phil, it it felt it felt a little bit then, and it feels now like a luxury item. Yeah, and I believe the flea flicker goes down as another fumble for it Melvin does, Gordon. So. Because Drew never had control of the ball. It's and definitely it would, not on Drew. Right, exactly. I mean, it would have if it had been on Drew, it would have been criminal because <laughs> the pitch was high. But it just, I mean... Uh, it just sort of underscores the last few years of Broncos football when they try something uh, dynamic, uh, they, they they try something a little bit off, off kilter, and it just goes, it just goes askew. I mean, it, I actually, as the flea flicker developed, I got a little bit excited, and then I saw the pu- the, the the pitch, and I said some things that I would not say if I had been watching in the press box. Fair. That's, that way. that's the advantage of uh, being at yeah. home or here at the DNVR bar. Um, Phil finishes the day nine carries for 79 yards, 8.8 yards per carry, man. He was cooking and he was the offense early on. And who knows what this, you know, how things change again. Don't think they beat the chiefs today. They just, they weren't good enough. Um, But this, the scoreboard might look a little bit different if Philip Lindsay ends up running for, you know, 179 yards. If he stays in, in this whole game, maybe a touchdown, uh, he continues that 8.8 yard per carry average. Um, to me, it's, I mean, I knew this all along, but it's very clear that Philip Lindsay is the better running back than mm-hmm. Melvin Gordon. Melvin Gordon, a little bit better at picking up blitzes. Melvin Gordon, uh, I think, a little bit better at catching passes, although we really haven't seen him get a chance to be dynamic in that uh, in that area of the game yet, other than the one big catch he had against the Steelers. Um, let's go through some of these other guys uh, in terms of who played well. Try and, you know, get some positive takes here. How about Albert Okawebunam leading the Broncos in receiving uh, yards and receptions today? Drew absolutely loves having him out there. Um, and I don't think he over-targeted him today. I thought, you know, in in, in Albert Okawebunam's first game, he forced it in a little bit, maybe more than he needed to. I thought most of the uh, attempts today, and, and it comes out in the stat sheet, seven targets, seven receptions. 60 yards, 8.6 average. Um, I mean, Al- Albert Okwebenam comes onto the field and is an instant difference maker for this Broncos offense. Well, I think part of that is also there's the trust factor they've built up with the time at Mizzou, and that's bearing itself out. I think uh, they're on the same page in a way that Drew has not gotten to with Jerry Judy just yet, for example. Yeah. For and sure. that and that's where the the years of work at Mizzou uh, pay off. I think the encouraging thing for Albert O these last two games is, especially this game compared to the last game. Of course, he missed some opportunities in traffic. Did a better job catching passes when he didn't have huge windows. And one very valid critique of Albert O coming out of Mizzou is that a lot of his receptions came in the open field. And when he had space to operate and he doesn't have that in the NFL, but he's still able to, to make some plays. So this, I mean, this is promising. I clearly, clearly Noah fan. I mean, he, he had three receptions today, but clearly he's not back to hundred percent or anywhere close on that ankle. You got it. I mean, the, the tip of the cap that you give Noah today is for gutting it out. Yeah. Clearly, clearly in a lot of discomfort, but you know, if you're looking for positives, I mean, you got to squint here and you probably got to look uh, at least beyond the, the, the short term, but one positive here is that I think if the Broncos are smart, they have an opportunity here to go back. 
They should study what the Patriots did nine, ten years ago with Aaron Hernandez and Rob Gronkowski working together, and this should be a base part of their offense. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. That's, that's you know, bar none. you got to get both yeah. of those guys involved. And we got our guy, Zach Stevens, on the show now. Great to have you, Zach. How you doing, my guy? Fellas, I'm happy to talk with you. Maybe maybe a bright spot to my day right now. Yeah, uh, it's been a tough day from the cold weather. I had to scrape my windshield this morning. That wasn't fun. But a uh, tough game for the Broncos. Zach, right now we're talking about uh, just the positives from this game and some of the players who stood out. We talked on the offensive side of the ball. We talked about Phil. We talked about Albert Okwebunam. Uh, and I was getting ready to work my way to the defensive side of the ball. Um, what do you have? To, what do you think about the guys uh, on the defensive side of the ball that stood out to you? Overall, the defense played solid. Now, outside of that first drive where where Vic was hard on the Broncos uh, on that first drive, said you can't let that happen. Kareem said that probably shifted uh, everything. The way, or A.J. Boye said that shifted the way the game went. Uh, but then after that, they cracked down. And, and so it's hard uh, not, not to see a lot of positives on the defensive side of the ball here, guys. Well, there is something that needs to come up, and we haven't discussed it yet. But you being there, what happened between Shelby Harris and Vic Fangio in the fourth quarter on the sideline? Yeah, Shelby Harris was heated coming off, and obviously Vic was very, very heated at the situation that Shelby caused. Obviously, the Broncos aren't winning the game in that situation, but Vic Fangio does not want to be that team. He's made it very clear through COVID that there's no excuses. Guys have to do their job, and then on the field, you can't have that happen where, of course, the Chiefs would have had to kick a field goal there at the mm -hmm. end of the game. But instead, Shelby has that penalty after the play, the unsportsmanlike. And so Vic was furious after that. And Vic didn't stand down after the game when asked about it. Vic said, it's unacceptable. You can't have that. He didn't say, you know, I understand where Shelby's come from. He said that cannot happen. So uh, after Shelby was furious, he threw his helmet on the sideline. You had a lot of players come over. Justin Simmons, one of them, to help calm him down but guys there was no no calming Shelby Harris down he was he was hot until the end of the game this is this is an easy issue for me uh Vic Fangio in the right Shelby Harris in the wrong yeah uh, it's easy bar none easy mm -hmm. um yeah I think I read his lips he said they're holding me all game they haven't called anything I'm sure they were and I'm sure they have guess what that's what every defense across <laughs> the country is dealing with right now they just don't call holding anymore uh no you know mm -hmm. you're welcome Garrett Bowles but <laughs> like I, Shelby Harris has to know better than that. Um, he got one jab in at the ref. He got two jabs in at the ref. He got three jabs in at the ref before the ref threw his flag. Finally, the ref's just not going to take that anymore. So uh, Shelby has to know better than that. You know, there was a commenter on our podcast this week who said, look how great Vic Fangio has done limiting penalties from a team that was very penalty prone under Vic Fangio. It was one of our biggest critiques of Vic Fangio – or sorry, of Vance Joseph mm -hmm. was this team – gets way too many penalties. They're undisciplined. That's the sign of a bad coach. Well, guess what? The sign of a coaching improvement has been the lack of penalties. How do you get a lack of penalties? By reacting like that when you're Vic Fangio and your player has a boneheaded penalty on the, on the football field. So I understand why Shelby Harris is frustrated. He deserves to be frustrated, but he knows he crossed the line. He was in the wrong. Vic Fangio is completely within his rights to unleash on him. 
And even though it wasn't a game, that penalty really didn't matter in the scheme of things at the end there. What happens if that happens next week when, when the Broncos and, and Chargers are within three points with three minutes left and Shelby Harris is pissed again uh, ab- about being held all game in the exact same situation? And then instead of, you know, the Chargers tying the game with two minutes left, they instead get the, get the go-ahead touchdown there. You, you have to nip that stuff right now. And one of the things that I liked after the game, talking to players and coaches, was the players were really pointing to themselves, saying this leadership group that we have of five or so needs to really step up and guide this team right now. And that's what's going to have to happen because Vic can get pissed off at these guys, but what needs to happen is players need to take accountability for themselves and for their teammates around them. Yeah, I think you're right there. Um, Moving on to some of the other guys that stood out to me. How about Malik Reed, man? Four sacks. (laughs) In two games, there was a time when we, you know, we joked that Demarcus Walker was the only guy who who had ever sacked Patrick Mahomes on the Broncos because he got him in that game. That, of course, was Patrick Mahomes versus Paxton Lynch in week 17. Um, And for Malik Reed to get two sacks on Cam Newton, two sacks on Patrick Mahomes today, I think it it really illuminates more than anything else um, his closing speed. When he gets there, He's not an easy guy to get away from. He's a little undersized as a pass rusher, and you sometimes see that get exposed a little bit in the running game. But it's also an advantage for him when it comes to wrangling these quarterbacks who are a lot more mobile. Four sacks in two weeks for Malik Reed. You absolutely love to see it. Huge. He's been an absolute player. It seems like the Broncos can just find these undrafted guys uh, in the draft and then turn them into great players and they step up when you need them. Shaq Barrett, now Malik Reed. Maybe we we really should be talking about Malik Reed in that Shaq Barrett role in Denver, of course, of the the role that Shaq Barrett had in Denver because you couldn't have asked more from him. Another guy I'm going to point to is the guy that led the team in tackles today, Alexander Johnson. He kept the team in it. Initially, you have the Broncos three and out to start the game. Then the Chiefs go down, uh, score a touchdown. It's like, oh my gosh, of course, this is how the game's going to happen. Then another three and out from the Broncos. In those two drives, the Broncos get six total offensive yards. And you're thinking, oh my gosh, the Broncos are going to be down 14-0 in a blink of an eye. And Alexander Johnson comes out at the beginning of that drive forces the fumble that's what the Broncos need they need to turn the ball over against anyone but especially if you're going to come back and beat the Chiefs even being behind 7-0 and what did that do it gave the Broncos an opportunity to tie the game Uh, they didn't really tie the game but they got close 7-6 the game felt good those were the plays that the Broncos needed a lot more often and it seemed like it being the second possession for the Chiefs getting that it seemed like there was hope that the Broncos were going to have that formula this game but it really ended after that yeah, I think uh, I think you're spot on there. Um, Zach, Mason, and I went back and forth on this throughout the entire first segment, as I'm sure you can imagine. The comment section is beside themselves over this topic, so we got to get your opinion. How was Drew Locke? And not just how was Drew Locke, but where do you stand on Drew Locke right now? A lot of people ready to give up on him. Drew Locke was not good today. Drew Locke was really, really not good today. And the thing that I'm concerned about the most isn't his numbers. And and of course, the eye test, uh, he didn't pass that again today in my mind. But what I'm concerned about is the total output by this team. You have 120 or 112 rushing yards in the first half. And you're only able to put up nine points because the passing game just isn't there to execute when they need to. And I think Vic Fangio nailed it on the head after the game. 
he didn't say Drew Locke had a terrible game. He said there's things he needs to improve on, especially when there were timely throws that needed to be made. Those did not happen. So today was a really, really bad game for Drew Locke, statistically, uh, everything. But what I am concerned about and, and something that I can't get over is the lack of points that this Broncos offense is putting up with Drew Locke as their quarterback. Yes, they went to Houston last year, uh, put up, what, 38 points, 37 points. It, it was a great performance. But the lack of points this offense is putting up is really concerning me. You have 14 points against Tennessee when Drew plays the full game. Last week, you had 18 points. All six were field goals. And then today, you only have 16 points. It's that is concerning me, and that's something that I can't – I'm starting to not be able to get over. But am I giving up on Drew? No, I'm not giving up on Drew. Uh, you know, he hasn't even started near close to a full season, so you're not giving up on him. But there are things that, for me, are hard to overcome and, and hard to overlook right now. Yeah, that's, that's interesting that you kind of focused on that, Zach, and I'm kind of focused on the fact that everything I'm seeing that's, that he's doing wrong – is something that he is what he did wrong at Mizzou and why he was a second round pick. Mm. And I admit, I'll admit, I have a different perspective than most people on Drew Locke because I did go to Mizzou and I've I've been watching him literally since his for since his first start for the Tigers back in 2015. So maybe I have too much of a micro view on Drew Locke compared to most. But I just I, I the stuff that made me nervous about him going into the draft. I'm seeing it and I'm not seeing it get corrected. Well, but the, st the stare downs, the back foot throws, trying to play hero ball, I'm seeing it all. Well, Mace, what, what concerns me on top of that is something Drew Locke said after the game. He said, uh, you know, my mistakes of not looking to the third and fourth read, looking first, second read, and then trying to make a play and getting out of the pocket when he actually doesn't really need to uh, and, and, and scrambling and doing things out of what he shouldn't be doing right then. He said, that's something I need to work on now. Uh, and he said, it's something that's going to turn. It's going to turn around. And that's the thing that you know, I, I like he's positive about it, but it's kind of going to what you said, this is how long does it take for it not to turn around until you're saying, okay, this won't turn around. I'm getting nervous. I have to admit, I mean, I yeah. want the rest of the season's about learning about him, but I'm getting a little nervous. Yeah. And I think that's just, as football fans and football media and football observers, it's hard to not look at what was just happened in front of you. Every week is so important in football that it's just really hard to say like, well, we'll see what happens four weeks from now. A month of games feels like an eternity when it comes to football and because it is. So I, I, I think you guys are both correct. Zach, you're right. They have to score more points to me. I just I'm trying to look at the process, trying to see if the process is right. Today it just wasn't, um, and so like they took a step back. Drew took a step back. The offense took a step back. Now there's you you can make excuses for them, and I think there are a few out there. But again, you only have so many games here. I'm trying to look at the process. Last week I thought the process was fantastic. This week the process was bad. You didn't see a connection on a deep ball. You didn't see guys dropping good passes except for maybe KJ Hamler which it wasn't a really great pass Un shouldn't have ended in an interception unfortunate for Drew it happens to all quarterbacks um I didn't like the process today but overall I've really liked the process from Drew Law and that's what I'm going to stick to right now is overall I'm seeing the process there I'm seeing them get in position I'm seeing them 
make play. I'm seeing Drew make plays. I'm seeing him convert third downs at a good rate. I'm seeing him avoid sacks at a good rate, which again, another thing he didn't do well today. So just got to see eventually the process has to turn into results. Um, And he Mm -hmm. has the rest of this season and maybe more depending on how the Broncos feel about it to turn the process into results today. The process was bad. The results were bad. The weather was bad. The team was bad. (laughs) Everything was bad. Uh, and it sucks because I think Broncos fans were ready to be excited. Uh, yeah. And I think they were excited going into the game. And I hate that everyone's feeling the way they are right now because I thought, you know, uh, maybe one of these days this team's going to reward them for their excitement. Today was not that day. So now you get next week, you get to go up against Justin Herbert, who was freaking awesome today. Yeah. Finally got himself a win against the Jaguars. Uh, mm-hmm. And maybe then is when the process starts to turn to results. But it has to happen eventually. I'm For now, I'm going to be the guy who says I like the process so far. Not today, but <laughs> on the whole, I like the process so far. Eventually it has to turn into results. Zach, what did we hear uh, from inside the locker room after the game? Anything notable uh, other than what you've told us from Drew and Vic? You know, we're we're at uh, two and four right now. And, and we knew the Broncos were, were still afloat at two and four after beating New England this week. But now the Broncos know this is where their season either sinks or it swims. And you are really getting that talk coming out of the locker room. Every single player pointing to, to how this is this is when we push through. This is when we turn around. This was a way bigger picture look from inside the locker room than you typically get after a game. And maybe it's because they didn't want to focus on how bad the game was, how it was their biggest loss to Kansas City since 2004, how they've lost 10 straight. They, they didn't want to be in the moment. Instead, they, they wanted to look big picture. And I think that's good because I think if the Broncos know how exactly big this, this next week's game is in the entirety of things, that's good. Of course, the message today was everyone's going to stick in there. Everyone's going to hang in there. Uh, but I think it's good that they're taking this big look picture because we've said the next two games, if they lose both of them at two and six, I'm sorry, but the season's absolutely over. It, it, it's hanging on a thread if you go one and one and you're at three and five. So they know how big these next two games are. I might even say the next two weeks are the uh, most important uh, that Vic Fangio has had since he became the head coach of this team. Yeah, because you are talking about if you lose, if if it is bad, if it, if it is that disaster, and you lose the next two to the Chargers in, in Atlanta, you are pro- you you are probably in an unrecoverable spin at least for relevancy this year. And then the questions about Vic Fangio are going to multiply. Yep, exactly. And guys, speaking of the get the game next week, of course, it's it's Drew Locke, Justin Herbert. I can't wait to break down that game leading up to it and the game itself. But Gardner Minshew, who, I mean, we all love Minshew mania, but there was a report just before the game today that if he didn't play well, he was going to be benched and Minshew mania was pretty much going to be blown up for the rest of eternity. And he put up 29 points <laughs> against the Chargers today. So... I don't need to see 29 from Drew next week or else he's done, but I need to see more than this 14, 16, because the Chargers defense is given up some points. So it's not to me right now, it's not go out and play better than Justin Herbert. It's can we, can we do something similar to Gardner Minshew at least? And Minshew really not even that good. 14 of 27, 173 and two touchdowns, but heck that feels as a stat line. A hell of a lot better than what Drew Locke has done the last two weeks. Now, we know last week was a little bit of an aberration. This week, I don't know. Um, 14 to 27, 173 
two touchdowns. If Drew does that next week and the Broncos win, I think people will feel good. If they lose, I don't know about that. Herbert, just outstanding. 27 of 43, 347 yards, three TDs. He's hitting throws that he didn't hit in college. It's wild to see. Uh, Maybe the Broncos have an answer for him because I'll tell you what, they allow 39 points. They're not going to win. They need need to figure out a little bit of an answer to him, make him come back down to earth. Drew Locke absolutely is going to need a way to find a way to get into the mid to high 20s. You know, I say it every week. You got to give up less than 24 and score more than 24. That should be your goal going into every week. Weirdly enough, the Broncos didn't do either thing right today, even though I think the defense was pretty damn good. Didn't even allow one single third uh, third down conversion in the entire game. I'll take that bar none from any defense every week. Um, but, you know, if you can do that to the Chiefs, you should be able to do a lot better to the Chargers. Same thing goes for the offense. You need to do a lot better against the Chargers. Although that being said, I wouldn't be, you know, you're talking about make sure you here a moment ago. I wouldn't be so quick to dismiss from me. The guy, the guy does have 13 touchdowns, five picks this year. And, you know, it seems like the bigger problem for the, the Jaguars than Minshew is the fact their defense has given up 30-plus six straight games. So, you know, it's not like Minshew's chopped liver right now, even though the team sucks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, it, it, those are just the reports that I saw yeah. coming out before the game. Yeah. On, top of, on top of those passing numbers from Herbert Ryan, Herbert was also the leading rusher for the Chargers with 66 mm. yards and added a touchdown. Hey, maybe this is an opportunity for the Broncos' defense to kind of break, not, not fully break, uh, Justin Herbert next week, but the the Broncos defense can bring him back to earth and Drew Locke can outperform him. And also what's on the line next week, the worst record in the division. You're both two and four going into this game. And of course, what Drew Locke does have on his side is he's still a winning quarterback in the NFL where Justin Herbert is not. He just got his first win today. Well, mm. if you lose next week and, and Herbert gets that, uh, the Chargers have a better record. Those records start to even out more. So it, it's going to be fun. Absolutely. Uh, we'll look forward to that one. This one is a tough one uh, to evaluate much just because it was so uh, bad in a lot of areas for the Broncos and kind of fluky uh, a little bit on the scoreboard with just two massive TDs. Uh, anything else that you guys uh, have on your mind as we wrap up the show? Well, speaking of, of Drew Locke, last week's stat line, you know, I wrote, I wrote a story that I think you guys would agree with with the headline of Drew Locke played better than his stats would suggest. This week, no, the st- I think the stat line was kind of spot on. Yep, mm-hmm. it was. Um, one thing I want to address, I saw some people in the comments talking about Philip Lindsay being injury prone. I just don't know what you want from the guy. Like, you know, we're talking about a broken wrist, a turf toe injury, and a concussion are the three main injuries people pointing to. Like, it's not like he's going out with a bruised rib or a hamstring or a shoulder injury one after another. Obviously you don't want this to happen your whole career, but I just, you know, give the guy a break uh, for three injuries that have nothing to do with each other. Yeah. And, and speaking of giving guys breaks, the Broncos caught a break today going into the game with the injury bug do not seem as fortunate leaving. We don't have any injury updates after the game, but obviously a lot of guys that were injured during the game, most notably their best offensive player by 15 miles today, guys with Philip Lindsay, but it, it does look like the, uh, he has a concussion and man, I, I hope back next week just because of how freaking good he was in the first half. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who else uh, ended up on the injury list there, Zach? 
who else? Because Vic didn't give any updates uh, after the game. He did say after the game that Fant was not playing 100%, and I think that was pretty yeah. obvious throughout the game. I mean, besides those couple last couple catches with under two minutes left in the game, he did nothing. I mean, Albert O, or how did they pronounce it on the broadcast? Did they get it right on the broadcast? No. No. Yeah. Okay. Because I can tell you in the press box, it was terrible. What did they say as well? Okwebunum? Okwebunum is what they said. I think actually, Kevin Carlin, early in the game, I heard an Okubunum. Okubunum. (laughs) Yeah. Good try. Good effort. You've had 14 days now (laughs) to learn this name. And you've had about 14 targets to him as well. Yeah. You know what? If we were not in the pandemic realm, I think. Albert O would have had the opportunity to say what he would tell broadcasters at Mizzou. And that is, it's okay if you just refer to me as Albert O on the broadcast. (laughs) He gave his blessing to the guys from ESPN and the SEC network to just call him Albert O. I I revoke that. Albert It's not that hard. I know it's really not that hard. hard. I mean, I I would rather hear it. Yeah. If we can get it right here, that's fine. I am just sick of having to hear this on a week-to-week basis. Just, just say Albert O and move on. That's, I mean, it's it, it is make it's, you know these get some of these games when the Broncos are playing like crap are a chore, but it's making it a painful chore when I have to hear his name butchered time and again. At least uh, didn't hear OJ, OJ Moody's name messed up today. So there's that. That, I'm not giving professionals true. any uh, – I'm not letting them off the hook when it comes to <laughs> pronouncing the names of the players. <laughs> Guys, today, speaking of that guy, Albert Okuwebunam, a perfect 7 for 7, led the Broncos in receiving. I mean, that's that's just incredible. Yeah, he's a beast. Um, we still didn't really get to see a full Noah fan and a full Albert Okuwebunam, but you, can see, you just see, you know, when you see – Noah have a great game. You see Albert have a great game. You come away saying, man, if those two ever click on the same day, it's going to be a day. Yep, exactly. And you can just tell how much Drew loves him. So that that seems like a great fourth round pick right now. Absolutely. All right. Well, again, I want to give a thank you to Breckenridge Brewery for bringing you these lives after the games. Thanks to everyone who uh, followed. Thanks to everyone who interacted with us. Uh, But for today, that's going to wrap it up for us. We will catch you tomorrow morning on the DNVR Broncos podcast. Have a great rest of your Sunday.